everyone. Before we start the show, I wanted to let you know that we're proud to welcome Sabian as a new sponsor, and we're giving away a 16-inch crash from their new line, HHX Complex. All you have to do to be entered to win is leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, then copy and paste that review onto our Facebook page. This Facebook step is important because it not only gives us a boost there, it will also be how we contact you if you win. Here's what Sabian has to say about these new symbols. Using technology gleaned from years of developing some of the world's top-selling symbol lines like Evolution, Legacy, and Artisan, Sabian introduces HHX Complex, a new line of exquisitely dark crash symbols. The 16-inch Complex Crash employs a combination of HH and HHX hammering, a raw hammered bell, and a number of the aforementioned proprietary techniques, resulting in one of the richest, sweetest crash symbols Sabian has ever produced. So once again, to win a new 16-inch Sabian HHX Complex Thin Crash, leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, then copy and paste it to our Facebook page between now and the end of October. Big thanks to Sabian for partnering with us and sponsoring this giveaway. Check them out on your social media platform of choice and Sabian.com. This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, Zach Albetta here, and you're listening to Working Drummer Podcast. My guest today is Mike Levesque, who is a veteran of the Boston scene, with many names to his touring and recording credit, including David Bowie, Natalie Imbruglia, Dave Navarro, and Seven Mary Three. Mike stays busy with approximately a dozen original recording projects and as many as 200 live dates per year. He is also in the process of launching Buck a Beat, a new way of selling loops, using the extensive archive of sounds he has created over the years with producer Sean McLaughlin. If you want to help support Working Drummer Podcast, a donation of as little as $1 a month gets you access to our exclusive educational content on Patreon. Tons of really useful tips, tricks, and lessons in there from former guests, and there will be more coming soon. So go to patreon.com slash working drummer and become a patron to help us keep going strong. So it was a couple years ago by this point that Chad Brandolini of Vader Sticks first suggested that I interview Mike. He put us in touch and we exchanged an email or two and we talked on the phone, but scheduling was tough and uh, we lost touch for a while. But Chad recently followed up with us and we were both like, oh yeah, let's do that. So we were finally able to make it happen. So let's get to it with Mike Levesque. I'm fascinated by how the programmers copy the drummers who are copying the programmers and it just keeps like circling around. Yeah. Do you know what new jack swing means? Not no. Jack swing is and I'm old enough to remember this stuff. Uh new jack swing means there's a swing function on the drum machine and you jack it. <laughs> you turn it all the way. So so like some gentle swing all of a sudden sounds like da 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 Right, right. right. Poison. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. very Atlanta. So that you're, you're you're saying the the DC go go thing that that was like a faster version of the Purdy shuffle like basically yep. swing sixteenth yep. notes yes made its way down yeah. to Atlanta yes uh, but but not not humans but the, the 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 savvy programmers and producers took those beats 
I think actually sped them up even a little bit more. Right, right. And then then made the took the last note of the triplet and crushed it into the next downbeat. Right, it made it like a quintuplet, the last of five or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, like uh, well, it swung it to the point of like dotted eighth sixteenth rather than triplet. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating stuff. That is fascinating, and we we talk a lot about you know regional styles and and regional scenes um and and the extent to which there's like you said kind of migration and crossbreeding not just of of humans but of now now of technology uh you know it's it's fun like basically what you're saying is that it it wasn't it wasn't humans that brought that from dc to atlanta it was a machine (laughs) no it, it was it was humans listening to those drummers right and wanting to do you know, have drum machine sounds and then just fucking with the groove till right. it, it just kind of turned that dial until it felt good to them, you know? Yeah. And now, and now you, I mean, those are brutal triplets, right? They're, they're, they're very, they're very aggressive. Like if you do, I do a lot of blues gigs, a lot of sh- like shuffle gigs, mm-hmm. you know? And when you take the middle and it's so funny I've just been talking about this once a month I do this group drum lesson for my I I have several students and we do a group it's happening this Sunday we do a group lesson where they all learn a a playlist that I put together for them around a theme Mm -hmm. and literally this month is triplet group wow so I just finished talking about like how go go like you know, Pantera plays the same triplets as Frank Sinatra, as whoever. It's just, it's just three over one. You know what I mean? Right, right. So, so, but when you take that middle note out, that's when the fun begins, and you can just like shape stuff. Yes. You know, and now if you play those kind of grooves, you probably copying a, a programmer right. who has the ability to move those notes at will. So now we have to be able to move those notes at will. Right. Right. And it, <laughs> with, with drummers, with drummers like, uh, you know, Jojo Mayer or, um, Mark Juliana or, or guys like that, you know, it's been happening for a while now, but you know, for, for so long, the machines were imitating the people. And now for a while, the people have been imitating the machines. Um, yes. To, to great Think effect. Of- like I, you know, it's, it's amazing. Uh, drumming and 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 it's a testament to you know to live music like those guys said you know i don't i don't want to surrender to the machine if this is what the music calls for if this or if this is what people want to hear i'm going to figure out how to get it out of myself do you remember when uh do you remember when drum and bass came out and we were all like trying to play that fast? Yes. It's just like so ridiculous. Yeah. And I feel uh, like every drummer now, myself included, like, you know, if you go to Guitar Center or something, you'll yeah. you'll hear like every, every drummer can play like a jazz ride beat. You know, they'll just yeah. like they'll bang yeah. it out. And I, I feel like the same way almost every drummer can just kind of kind of bang out a little drum and bass groove like you know you'll any anybody can just sit down and go doom tack doom tack doom tack doom tack you know it's <laughs> it's like it's all it's all sped up james brown <laughs> it really is yeah exactly. yeah 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 um fascinating stuff so you mentioned you mentioned the blues gigs like i was i was gonna yeah. kind of start with you uh you know your your resume is a mile long and we'll we'll get into uh, we'll get into it or at least parts of it but um i wanted to yeah. start with just asking like what is keeping you busy right now like what did you do over the last week 
what's keeping me busy is saying saying yes to every single gig that gets offered uh-huh. uh, high and low yeah you know near and far uh, I was in New Haven Connecticut about two hours away a couple of days ago with my friends Dwight and Nicole mm-hmm. it's a really cool band from Vermont um, what else was going on teaching a bunch of drum lessons I've, I had a bunch of rehearsals for a bunch of uh, gigs that I have coming up that have sort of multiple singers, uh, you know, I'm learning music in 20 and 30 song chunks at a time. I'm spending most of my free time during the day, uh, making, making charts for gigs. I'm, I'm, and I, <laughs> I need an iPad cause I'm still doing the legal <laughs> pad thing yeah. and the Sharpie. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Uh, I kind of love it. I'm sentimental about them. They're like my diary. I have hundreds and hundreds yeah. in a closet of like, uh, the problem is though, when you try to learn too many songs too quickly, um, I, at least for me, I'm never off book, you know? Right, right. And I hate to be that jerk with the music stand on stage. Yeah. But I, I kind of do it. That's why I kind of want to go iPad eventually and be a little more discreet. Right. I was going to say that's it's one of the advantages of the iPad is that you can be a little more discreet about having to, to you know, read. read. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, you know, as you know, I mean, we're not we're not doing transcriptions. These are just form charts and like basic kick snare patterns. Yeah. But I'm at the point of, I'm at the point of saturation in terms of what I can remember from night to night. And, and I, I, I'd rather have the thing up there than, I think I'm just a dummy. Like unless the title of the song is, I want to hold your hand. I might not have any (laughs) recollection for it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, and and and, for a lot of songs, like you, 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 you might be able to recollect the song perfectly, but remembering all of your drum responsibilities for a lot of songs is not as obvious. Like there are so many songs that I've had to learn, you know, over my career where, you know, there's songs I've heard a million times, some of my favorite songs, but I never had to sit down and learn the drum part. And as soon as yeah. you do, you're like, oh, this is nothing like what I thought, <laughs> you know, yeah. if I, yeah. would, if I yeah. were to wing this based on my memory of the song, I, I wouldn't play anything close to what the drum part actually is. Yeah, I usually tap out um, BPMs, too, if I'm responsible for sure counting stuff up. And uh, yeah, man, it's it. it it's I've been busy, you know, crazy yeah. busy. I, 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 I try to do in the 150 to 200 gigs a year. That's off the road. Right. Right. You know, um, I'm actually off the road. I, w- I was last time I was on the road was with seven Mary three, maybe six, seven years ago. So it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're just hanging out I, in Boston doing regional, uh, regional stuff. I'm a, I, I live in, in Taunton, Mass., which is about halfway between Boston and Providence. I'm about an uh, like an hour south of Boston, an hour from Cape Cod. There's a ton of work down there. Sure, Martha's, yeah. Vineyard, Martha's Vineyard, Nantucket. Um, about three hours from New York, mm-hmm. about 30 minutes from Providence. So I can kind of – and I play like in New Hampshire and Maine and just kind of New England plus a little south. 
Yeah, cool. But it's cool. It keeps me busy. I say yes to everything. Right. So I was going to ask, you know, in, in terms of saying yes to everything, um, some of us, uh, some of us do that out of necessity, and some of us do that because we'd rather be playing anywhere for anything than doing anything else. Um, and for some of us, it's kind of both. So which uh, which of those do you fall into? It's both. Mm-hmm. Definitely both. It's how I make my living. Right. So I, I would rather say yes and have a gig um, than not have a gig. Right. You know? <laughs> and, and, you know, it's how I pay my bills, uh, plus some teaching and studio work. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's yes to everything. Yeah. You know, periodically you're going to hear a dog whining. I'm yeah, not I, sure what to do with her, but... Um, <laughs> Got this beautiful <laughs> I saw her boxer there. here. Yeah, I I'm saw going her. to um, I'm going to placate her with food. So that always, one sec. It always works with okay. me. All right, cool. Yeah, me too. Okay, <laughs> hold on. What I was gonna say was like it's I like the ethos of you know blue collar drumming. I do too. Um, and you know I've been really lucky in my career. I've had some brushes with some really amazing stuff, mm-hmm. but ultimately. You know, it's it's just blue collar, yeah. like literally working drummer. Yeah. You know, that's what I do for a living. So I can't. I I try to be discriminate, you know. Right. But if if there's a Thursday night and I'm off and somebody calls, I'm gonna say yes, you know. And maybe it'll lead to something better. Maybe it won't. But either way, you know, I still love it. So I right. can physically do it. And I'm going to do it as long as I can physically do it. Right. And I think, you know, those those of us who who make our living uh, doing this, um, yeah. you know, for, for our entire lives or at least a good chunk of our lives. Um, yeah. Can relate to what you were talking about. Like we, there there have been some brushes with like really big, really cool shit. Um, but most of it is kind of blue collar week in week out. And I think that's true for most musicians. Like it's, it's, there, there aren't many people that I know or have heard of who get launched into the stratosphere and stay there. (laughs) <laughs> you know, yes. there are a few 1%, yes. less than 1%. Right. I mean, it's less like, it's 1%. like the NFL. If you don't ever expect to do a corporate gig again or a, a bar gig, then, then <laughs> you're in the NFL. Congratulations. Um, but, but yeah. most, you know, most of the rest of us, uh, get to do the, the cool shit, the high profile shit, the high dollar shit sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and the rest of the time it's week in, week out blue collar. Yeah. Yeah. As far as studio sessions, I think that, um, you know, I do more than my share, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a factor of being around. I've, I've, I, you know, I grew up around here, know a lot of studios and producers around here. It's kind of, I almost never want to leave because if, if, if you're, if you, when you start getting the calls, um, you want to be around. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Right. You, it, uh, when I was touring, uh, with Seven Mary Three, I noticed that the studio stuff would be less. You know, it's the old thing. Like if they call you and you're not around, you might call somebody else, or you, know, you just kind of want to be. And I don't mean going out and pressing the flesh and stuff like that, but just just have it uh, aware that like if somebody calls you on short notice, you can do it. You know, right. you can carve out time, and you're not out of town. And I mean that that goes for 
doesn't everybody move to Nashville and then the first thing they do is they get a road gig because <laughs> it's so hard to break into the studios and yeah. then they're not there. Yeah, so it's that's true, that man. Catch 22. It's the same thing you know? with L.A. I mean, I, I lived in L.A. for five years. Um, my, yeah. my partner on the podcast, Matt Krause, has lived in Nashville for 20 years. Um, yeah. and, and it is that way. I mean, it's, you know, there's, there's a ton of work in town, whether it's playing on lower Broadway or doing session work, but yeah. you're right. Like part of the point of moving to a place like that is to, to get a road gig and then you're never there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then no one can call you for a session cause you're never home. Right. Right. You're, you're, <laughs> you're stuck. You're stuck. So I try to be home. I try to be home. Yeah. So as, uh, as far as the studio work that you've done, um, what, uh, what industry would you say? I mean, I think Chicago and Dallas historically have been famous for doing a lot of jingles. Um, and you know, Nashville of course is just a, a songwriting machine. Um, mm-hmm. what, uh, what is being recorded in Boston and has it changed? I'm sure it's changed over the years. Um, I haven't done that many, like, like corporate studio stuff, like soundalikes mm-hmm. and things like that for like licensing things. Um, I've done, you know, some jingles, but I don't think there's a lot of that around here. Or at least I'm not doing it. Right. Or maybe if there's jingles, you know, why would they hire a guy? They've got easy drummer. They've got loops like it. it, it they're they, they're going to do that to right. save money. Yeah. Um, my my studio stuff around here is producers that are contacted by independent songwriting artists that don't have a band mm-hmm. or if they have a band, maybe those guys are not quite that seasoned or just can't play to a click or, you know, you know, the, all the, all the reasons. Right. And then, uh, so I'm just kind of playing on songwriter stuff more than anything else. Hmm. And yeah. like regional people that come from new England, Re- regional people. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, there's three or four studios up here that, you know, will tend to hire me if they think I'm right for the gig. Mm-hmm. So between the four of them, uh, you know, maybe every six to eight weeks, something's coming out that I played on. So that's fun. Yeah, you know? that is cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I would imagine the process for that is kind of similar to, you know, learning, learning those corporate gig songs like you got to make yourself a chart and you know it's obviously yeah. not as as a shotgun wedding of a process <laughs> yeah but what uh, usually what usually happens for me is um i'm not really a part of any pre-production there's mm-hmm. no budget for that so the, the the producer will send me the songs in an in a dropbox and they're very sketchy demos like right you know, not even a click. It could just be the person playing the song. Mm-hmm. Um, if they normally, when people do it on keyboards, they'll quantize it in MIDI and send it to me like that. Mm-hmm. So then I can maybe shed to it, and it's you know perfectly in time. Uh, the acoustic guitar demos are like they're all over the place. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. It's, it's, it's a lot. Some of these people are folkies. You know, they haven't. They don't really play with drummers, but they want sort of an epic production for their for their record. Right. Um, uh, so th- they'll send me that. And if I have time, you know, I just kind of make it part of my uh, heavy playlist. You know, mm-hmm. I'll have it in 
tomorrow I'll just like live with it for a while see what's going on yeah. um then the night the night before the session or even the morning of um I'll try to just make a form chart and then jot down some general like kick pattern ideas I might have right but nothing specific because I don't I don't want to go in I track this thing and then the person's like ah that's not the direction I want to go into you know it's almost better to just sit in the control room for me with the artist and just kind of see what maybe play on my hands or play on my feet like tap on the floor and be like you know wh- where are we going with this right right um how how much do you want me to follow the strum pattern that you're yeah. doing yeah or the the well, baseline or whatever that's i think that well, that's always think, a question in in my head like when i'm adding something to an original song or something without yeah. drums i'm like yeah. do i go with this or i do do i go against it that's like <laughs> i i would love the luxury of having a bass part in stone but i, I it's it's kind of in in my world it's always drums first right and then i i work with one particular amazing producer sean mclaughlin he's a great bass player so we'll kind of come up with it together Mm -hmm. but it's i mean the idea that there's also a bass player there and we're laying it down together it's been a long time yeah it's it's, these are like drum sessions right right so um i get the luxury of creating the shape but i also get the responsibility of (laughs) shape right (laughs) you know right right forever yeah you know so uh, that's where I really rely on the, whoever's producing the track and the artist to be really articulate about, you know, what they're looking for. Sometimes it's very obvious, right. you know, and other times it's like, man, is this is this a four on the floor tune or is what, where is this going? We, got, we I and it, I like to have as much conversation as possible before. I even start doing takes because I just want to bang out three takes and comp and then it's done, you know? Right. So the more I can kind of feel that person out, I don't want to waste time doing takes and it's not quite, you know, yeah, quite what they're looking for. So I, I, I'll just air drum in the control room until they kick me out. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, right. I, I just want it to be right the first right. couple times. Right. You know? They're finally um, like, okay, go play the drums now. Finally. Yeah. <laughs> um, I usually have my dog with me, so she, she entertains them while I'm, you know, covertly uh, memorizing the tune. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned, like, there's a, a handful of studios and a handful of producers that, yep. that you have relationships with who, who kind of yep. call on you. Um, apart from the, the process you just talked about, um, what are some of the things about your your playing or your approach or your sound that that you feel uh, have come to be valued by by these people? Um, uh, my friend, these aren't my words, but they're very nice words. My friend Sean sort of pitches it to artists that this guy plays drums like a songwriter. Hmm. So that stuff has movement and I care about shapes. Yeah. You know, I mean, this transcends like, of course, you have to be able to play to a click. You have to be able to tune your drums pretty well. Right. Or reasonably well. You have to hit with dynamic balance between your limbs so that the cymbals basically you're not hitting the cymbals louder than the drums. Right. Right. You know, that's the Um, technical nuts and bolts shit. Yeah. let's, Let's assume we have all that together. Right. 
then, you know, can you write good parts for the songs that um, have flair, but they're not bullshitty, you know, and like too noty? Right. Um, I don't I I'm not getting called for sort of prog rock stuff or or or. I would get a call for like a boom got boom boom got track, right? You know, and if you you you've listened to some stuff I played on, that's that's what I do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and I try to put a little bit of flair into it, but um, with symbols, I'm always on defense. I don't like to be on <laughs> offense, even choosing them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I love the idea of like, you know, projection crash, rude crash. I'm right. like soft submissive crap uh, <laughs> <laughs> so i don't have to hit it too hard right you know what so, i mean or, or, or if i hit it too hard it's not going to ruin the track <laughs> right right you want the sub crash not the dom crash exactly exactly, <laughs> exactly. that's exactly. funny that's funny yeah always <clears throat> like big big symbols very thin right if I take a, a symbol and I can't literally bend it with my hands, it's not going on a track. Right, right. And that includes ride symbols. I like a little, like, a little play with everything. Mm-hmm. Whether yeah. it's high pitched, medium pitched, or low pitched, I can figure that out per on a per song basis. Yeah. But if I hit it and it's as loud as the snare, I don't want. I, I just don't like to use it. You right. Know? Right. But that doesn't mean little small stuff. I, I like big crash, you know, oh, 19 yeah. crashes, but they have to be pliable. Totally. Yeah. I know yeah. what you mean. Um, yeah. And it sounds like what you're talking about is uh, just sort of being empathetic to the spirit of the song. And that that can have to do with the uh, particular aesthetic that it's in uh the particular style or whatever but also you know the lyrical content the story of it um all that all that factors into your approach i like to i think that's also part of kind of stalling in the control room is that i may have never met this person before you know like i i kind of want to get a vibe for them yeah you know yeah and when i'm when i'm sort of air drumming just playing on my hands and feet, you know, like in the room, you can see, you can kind of read them. They have tells like you can see when they light up and when they don't. Right. You know, like say a tune, I'm always in a, in a, in a zone where like, all right, so should this tune have eighth notes on the hat? Should it have 16th notes? Like what kind of 16th notes? How pushy should they be? How, you know, that, that's kind of the whole ball of wax. You know, there's probably 30 kick drum patterns that work. Right. So, uh, shaping the hi hat, you know, like going sloshy in a pre chorus and then tight in the first part of reverse, things like that. That's what I mean by playing like a songwriter, like making this stuff move a little bit. Yeah. Uh, the Nashville guys do that like so incredibly, man. That's, that's, <laughs> those, that's kind of the inspiration or like, uh, Roger Hawkins, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, those are like the, those are my guy, those are my heroes, right, you know. Right. So they they just do the simplest shit, but if you could, uh, I don't play video games, but the idea that now you can find all these ISO drum tracks on YouTube because of Rock Band, right? You know what I'm talking about, where they have the stems. Yep, that's changed my life. Yeah, I mean, I can finally. Uh, uh, 
I'm I'm fascinated. I'm not great at it, but I'm fascinated by reggae drumming. Yeah, same. And there's so many Carlton Barrett like ISO drum tracks from Bob Marley records. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just unlocked everything for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a drummer in Boston, Tommy Benedetti. He's a reggae badass, so he just basically does everything. I, I get none of that. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> He's the guy. Right, the guy. right. It's and, and it's it's good to be at a, a place in your life where like there you know there's a guy that does a thing, and you're like I I you do the thing. I'm not even going to yeah. worry about it. Like I yeah. could I could shed this for a long time, but I'll just enjoy it when you do it. And he he and I did a show recently together. There was a double bill. Uh huh. And it was, it was he was not playing with the reggae band, and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" It was the first time I had met him. I just kind of like follow him on Instagram. I, I, it's like I, it's like I got to have a crush on his drumming, you know. <laughs> and uh, and then he was kind of just playing this Booker T in the MG style gig. I was like, "Damn, if you don't play at least one reggae song, I'm gonna fucking die." Man. <laughs> so I'm gonna go see him play with some other stuff. And, yeah, um, yeah, 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 he's a good dude. Uh, I, I I think I've played one complete reggae gig in my entire life. Um, yeah. I, I didn't feel good about it. Um, you know, yeah. I, I did okay. I don't think I was a liability. But but what you're talking about, just the nuances of all the different ways you can, you know, put some flavor on that hi hat and uh, yeah. You know, I yeah. I pretty much played the same groove for. 70% of the songs. <laughs> there's, I mean, you if it's, if it's an all one drop gig, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. I mean, there's plenty of, if you go back to the early, like studio one or Trojan record stuff, the original sort of Kingston stuff. Right. Um, those one drop records are very basic. Yeah. They, they, I mean, it's the most beautiful thing ever, but it's not noty. Right. Right. You no, know, there was a great, one of the great reggae drummers, um, this guy, Winston Grennan, uh, he played on the Harder They Come, Peter Tosh, mm-hmm. uh, Mother and Child Reunion, Paul Simon. Yeah, Just, yeah. He, he spent some of the last years of his life on Martha's Vineyard in Nantucket, and I lived on the vineyard for a summer, and I, I, I got to hear a lot of his his work, and that that was also kind of a huge inspiration. Like, oh my god, that's cool. You no, know? yeah, yeah. He, really he was cool. literally just like doing club di- club gigs. Yeah, and this was like one of the gods of one drop, right. almost considered like one of the inventors. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That was so good. that was kind of a lucky opportunity. I always had considered, you know, the New Yorks and LAs, but you know, I. It just didn't work out for me. You know, I have sort of family ties around here and I'm working enough that there's I'm not going to say there's no reason to do it. Right. But but like, you know, the idea of like a cattle call that that's that's doesn't appeal to me sort of right. anymore. Right. You know, right. Or, or the idea of, yeah. of just doing the legwork to try to break into a New York or an LA or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, we, we've talked about it a lot before there, there comes a point in your career, some later than others where, you know, what, what you love about where you live kind of outweighs your ambition, uh, 
or your insecurity about not living in New York or not living in LA, you know, whether it's, whether it's the local scene you're a part of or the, the family ties that you have there, the fact that you grew up there or the fact that you're just busy as shit and don't feel the need to. (laughs) I I am all of those things around here. Yeah. Yeah. You you literally listed my list. (laughs) Yeah. Good. You listed my list. Yeah. So, uh, you, you mentioned you were doing a bunch of blues gigs lately. Hmm? Always. What? I, I don't. It's, I don't associate Boston with the blues, but should I? Uh, Bo- you should. Boston has a great, um, traditional and modern blues scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, New England does. There's a, a ton of great players, and there's venues where you know that's accepted. And I had an old drum teacher of mine tell me that you know. If I could play a shuffle, I could work. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. You know, I love it. I love anything triplet based. So yeah, uh, it's fun when you when you like we were saying before when you when you take the middle note out of that three, mm-hmm. got wiggle room that it, it just takes a lifetime to kind of get it. Yeah, really happening. Right, and and it's it's just. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. That was the pop music of the day. Trip, trip, if you go back to Sinatra, like and earlier, yeah, triplets were dance music. Yeah, triplets, triplets with four on the floor was the club music of its day. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so I just, I just love playing it. Yeah, uh, I, I, and, and it's. It, 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 go ahead. I'm no, after. I, I was going to ask if if you you know what are what are your thoughts on on the great shuffle debate about you know what makes a Chicago shuffle or a, a you know the the Delta Delta blues or the you know just all the various uh, branches the old, on the shuffle tree. I think I'm a fan of some geographical references to beats, but I think if you I've heard drummers in Chicago say I'm playing a Chicago shuffle and I've heard drummers in, in Austin, Texas say I'm playing a Texas shuffle <laughs> and right. I, I, they're playing the same thing. Right. <laughs> so, uh, to me, when you take the middle note out of the triplet, you have the opportunity to play stuff that, can sound really wide or really aggressive and tight within a certain BPM. Mm-hmm. And it just takes how you bounce the stick, you right. know, and how you kind of hear it. Um, some drummers do it more aggressively than others. Some drummers do it where it's, it, it sounds almost straight and it's like a little shuffled. Yeah. And I think that's the challenge, you know, and it takes a lifetime to do that. Um, I know what I, I think. Sorry, go ahead. Know, I was going to say that it, Drummers, and this goes for all the great drummers I'm thinking about that play great shuffles that live around here. Mm-hmm. The ones that came up, the ones that came up playing jazz, their triplets sound a little different than the one. Like I grew up playing rock, but I love playing blues and swing. Yeah, but I'm not coming from a jazz drummer's perspective. So, but there's a you know, there's a guy. I mean, just recently I heard this guy Mark Texera, who just. He plays with Duke Robillard, who was the founder was the founder of Roomful of Blues, mm-hmm. and he's just like a working dude. 
and he has the most beautiful shuffle I've ever heard. And it's like, oh my God. <laughs> but he's, I know, I mean, just through kind of not talking to him directly, but kind of asking around, like this is a guy that grew up playing jazz. Yeah. So he's just going to have a different touch than, than I'm going to have or someone else. Um, when I'm playing a blues gig, I'm always trying to find out like how aggressive are people playing their triplets? Right. And should I be leading that charge or should I be following that charge? Yeah. Um, when I don't, when I don't know, I'm guaranteed I'm going to play quarter notes on the ride or hi hat. Yeah. Until yeah. And so that's, that's really the safe bet to kind of like keep the time moving. Right. And then, uh, it's, I mean, it depends on the, it, I, I I tend to follow more than lead on gigs like that. You know, guitar players have certain strum patterns. Some go ba ba da ba da, and others go da 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 da. Right. Where I think, I think it's important to know the difference between like an uptown shuffle, a blues with a backbeat. Yeah. Like BB King, like crossover blues in a tux kind of. Right. And then marches. Which is more, you know, even sounding. Ka 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 ka. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, er- earlier, earlier, blue stuff. Yeah. You know, and I just, you know, you can buy the chess box set and just listen to the whole thing from top to bottom. You can hear it kind of evolving. Right. You know. And um, what, what you were saying about just kind of like, you know, being being in the moment and listening to what what it what it is that you have to kind of play with um i i, I don't know that there's a, a right or wrong shuffle it's about who you're playing with in the moment and whether or not you're no. shuff, whether or not you're shuffling together uh, absolutely and you know from an audience perspective like if 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 a band is playing really smooth triplets I'm not going to sit there and say like I think they should be chopping up these triplets more. They're playing it wrong. Well, watch, watch, watch the dancers. Right, right. Watch the dancers. Um, I used to play a lot of swing dances when I lived in Providence. That was when the like, you know, early '90s swing revival. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Remember those bands like Big Bop and Daddies? And, oh, of course. And, uh, uh, I, so I played in a couple. Play? Of, well, I played in a couple of bands in L.A. that uh, are are carrying that torch 20 years later. <laughs> did you ever see when you were in la did you ever see big sandy and his fly right boys that is a nasty blues like western swing rockabilly i feel like i heard of them but i never saw him i saw i saw willie mcneil and his burlesque thing i interviewed him actually Um, and i I played with mondo dorami who was the like the founding member of royal crown review there you go Um, so you know yeah, yeah yeah so you played swing dances yeah a ton of them yeah, like not not sort of the punk rock side of that, but the real swing side of that. Right, the straight up swing side where they don't want yeah. you to play anything above one forty BPM. Right, and, <laughs> and that's yeah, exactly. And I I used to play the swing dance in Providence, and I noticed that when I was aggressive with the triplet, people moved differently, or maybe I was projecting that onto them. But I swear, I felt like. And this was this isn't a volume thing. It's it's not about volume, but just how how is it aggressive or not? Like mm-hmm. is it da 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 or da 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 da? People are going to move differently. Yeah. To that stuff, and you'd see people sort of like really digging in. Right. You know. Right. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, 
Good dancers, too. There's nothing better than that. I oh, mean, yeah. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. I, I found the same thing. Like, people would kind of dig in and, like, dance a little harder just with a, a really clear backbeat. Not a loud backbeat, <laughs> but, if, yeah. like, if you yeah. just stuck two and four to the wall, you know, even if you're playing kind of a smooth triplet or even if it wasn't, like, a really rambunctious song, like, if, if two and four were just, like, non-negotiable, uh, yes. you know, they, they they really take to that quite a bit. I remember Bill More Nye. The- you, you know who's an avid swing dancer is Bill Nye the science guy. He came to a gig that I did one time. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, he was great. Wow, wow, yeah. wow. Was he dressed to kill, like, the whole, like... Uh, well, he wears what he usually know? wears, which is kind Oh, that's of true, like, yeah. You know, like, it was, there's, there's yeah. some overlap yeah. between... Bow tie, bow yeah. tie suit. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Wow, wow, wow. Um, um, so, anyway, yeah, so, uh, like, as far as the, the shuffle thing goes, um, I you know, what you were saying about, like, you know, I'm playing a Chicago shuffle versus I'm playing a... Uh, Texas Shuffle. Um, I heard an interview with, I think it was Taj Mahal, where he kind of debunked the notion of Chicago blues versus Texas blues or whatever. He said, this is all Southern blues. Everybody playing this shit came from the South. Everybody who's known as a Chicago blues musician, like Howlin' Wolf or (laughs) Muddy Waters or whatever, like they came from the South. They didn't come from Chicago. They ended up there. But like you know, all he he basically said, all blues is southern blues. When I was a kid, in living in Boston, kind of fresh out of college, I was lucky enough to do a very small tour and a couple of spot dates with Pine Top Perkins. Oh, cool! Yeah, it was Muddy Waters his piano player. Like, but da 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 da. That's right, him. Right? Didn't so he play with Howlin' Wolf too? I'm not sure. I know him as Muddy's guy. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he played with a ton of people. Sure. Um. So I, I do this tour with him where we go f- from Boston, uh, you know, up to Nova Scotia and back, basically. Mm-hmm. And I asked him one night in the dressing room when we kind of became friends. I said, you know, the records that you played on that I listen to all the time, why are the drummers playing the same thing with both hands? <laughs> and I just like demoed a double shuffle mm-hmm. for him. And he literally said, because that's all they could play, <laughs> which, which which makes me think that I know there's like the Fred Belos and like the really slick kind of blues session drummers. Mm-hmm. But through, I have I, 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 sometimes I think that the, the drummers on the, the earlier records are like someone in one of the band's friends. Yeah, or maybe the recording engineer, or I, I heard that like Leonard Chess played drums on a couple of things. <laughs> wow! So so think about how primitive that is, right? When you're first learning how to play drums, you can't separate your hands. Yeah. So you're playing this with both hands. So how and so someone does that because that's that's their physical limitation, and right. it becomes a fucking style. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. It's it is amazing, and I experienced the same thing recently with a, a surf rock gig. Um, I, got, <laughs> I got a couple of buddies in in LA who who do like a surf rock thing once in a while, and they came to Atlanta. They had a few gigs here, and they had me do it. Yeah. And um, Casey, the guitarist, 
like he sent me all these tracks he sent me youtube videos you know he's and and he was like for this gig i need you to pretend that you're a 19 year old with no training whatsoever yeah because that's the vibe like these kids in the 60s just like picked up instruments and started doing the shit and the drumming like like that shuffle thing you're talking about is pretty primitive like (laughs) it's not overthought it's just what they were capable of and it happens to be the vibe and you, I mean, in a more sort of sophisticated rocking way, you can hear Earl Palmer play like that on the Little Richard stuff, where sure. both hands are playing eighth notes. You know, yeah, yeah. You know who does that? You know who does that a lot, and he doesn't get a lot of credit for it because you, you don't really hear it on the records. Well, two two drummers I'm thinking of. One is Barney Carlos, Cheap Trick. Yeah, he really plays like just double stop. Double when he's playing. Yeah, and it's got that slight swing, and that's why that band is so ridiculously great. Right. Um, I, I I wish I, I guess he's not touring with them anymore, but I don't know. It's not the same. And Johnny Carlos is one of the great all time yeah. drummers. Yeah. Uh, he bought up all the vintage Ludwig stuff too, so you can't get anything anymore. Right. He's got this incredible collection. I know. <laughs> These guys are single-handedly raising the prices of everything. You know that, right? right? Of course. There's a guy. There's a guy in in, and I'm not even going to name him, but there's a guy in Boston. Um, had a bit of money. He started buying, uh, Rogers stuff. Uh-huh. When Rogers was not the cool brand to sort of have for vintage. This is before the whole vintage thing started. Really, this is like right. in the late '80s. Right. He he bought. And he, you know, he's a, he's a drummer. It's not that he's not playing. Good producer, good engineer, great drum tech. But he, he had some bread, and he. There was a drum store in Rhode Island that had a lot of old stock for Rogers for some reason. Uh-huh. Like I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know the, all the details. He bought just. He single-handedly raised the price of of, <laughs> of stuff like in the vintage market. Oh man. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now well, it's impossible. Forget about. I mean, how right. do you? At least he's a player. For... At least he's out there, you know, oh, playing and stuff. Because there are guys that oh, do. They don't play note one, just hoarding drums. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a I have a beloved student who moved to Ohio. He's an older guy. He's got. Now I don't want to say this wrong because he'll kill me, but I think he was a real. He, his fetish was gold sparkle Ludwig. <laughs> he had the same kit and the same sizes over multiple years. Oh my god, that's like having a, it's like having a column in your wine cellar, like just every. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But he plays, so it's you know it's it's cool. Oh, I wish yeah. I had the bread thing around to have like. 1960 to 1970 gold sparkle Ludwig in the same sizes. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> same sizes. That's, That's what's fucked up about it. The right. same, like tw- tw- what are they, uh, 20... 20, 12, 13, 16. Yeah. Over- That's that over a same decade. Col- same, same color. I believe so. That's obsessive. He'll, he'll, he'll correct me if I'm wrong, but right. I believe so. I believe so. That's, that's bordering on obsessive and yeah. 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 <laughs> Anyway. It's got a good shuffle, though that guy. There you go. There you go. Um, you mentioned you mentioned Bunny Carlos. Who was who was the other drummer you were thinking about with those? Oh, uh, t- uh, t- Tommy Artelino from NRBQ. Huh. Cool. Anyone that has to listen to that guy, he's like, if you took 
Earl Palmer, John Bonham, and Ringo and smash them all together in an unfortunately literally schizophrenic individual. Wow. He passed away a few years ago. He was, you know, he had a tough life and he, he was not roadworthy. Um, he, uh, a friend of mine from middle school hired him, you know, to do some sessions and, uh, you know, he, he, it was a tough hang, but he really brilliant drummer and mm-hmm. NRBQ is like one of the great bands in the world. And, uh, he, he had it that like not swung, not straight playing straight fills over swing tunes, playing swing tunes over straight tunes and, and making it work. Yeah. He played drums the way Ray Charles sings. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like bending time, but yeah. still totally in the pocket. Right. I miss that guy. Yeah. One of the great drummers, one of the great unsung drummers. Tell us about this whole process you've been through with uh, with Bucka Beat. Okay, Bucka Beat was and is an idea that uh, a great producer, bass player, friend of mine, Sean McLaughlin, and I were doing a lot of sessions together. And at the time, I was was touring with Seven Mary Three, and the songwriter in that band, Jason Ross asked me just to record a bunch of patterns and, you know, and sort of send it to him so he could sort of write songs over it and put it in his computer and do what he wanted to do with it. Um, so we did that. And as we we're cutting them up, we realized that because we do so much work together, we have a backlog of just record after record of drum tracks. So why don't we, take everything that we're working on past present future at that particular studio and, you know, cut them into bite sized pieces and repurpose them. So other songwriters can use them. Mm -hmm. And we spent a lot of time taking my old drum tracks or my new drum tracks or the, there was just, it would be in, you know, a sort of an assembly line. Yeah. And we would take the phrases if it was a two-measure phrase, it would be two measures. If it was a one-measure phrase, it'd be one measure. And you know, cut them up into pieces, and then sort of have them in what we called a collection. And that was at a certain BPM. And you know, if I did my job right, and I played, you know, wrote the drum part like a composer, then you would have sort of verse ideas, pre-chorus ideas, and it would kind of just be there. Right. You know, fills like you'd have it all. Yeah. It, uh, and those loops can go plus or minus six BPM without the sound degrading. Mm-hmm. And we decided to sort of launch a website where we could sell those loops to songwriters or commercial commercial music people or film scoring people. Um, and we had have about ten thousand loops ready to go. Uh, I'm not the only drummer involved. Uh, Elliot Jacobson's involved. Uh, Alan Cassidy, the world's greatest metal drummer, in my opinion, uh, recorded some speed metal stuff for me. There's a great jazz drummer from around here named Jeff Armstrong. Uh-huh. Jazz stuff, you know, that's kind of unique to us is the metal stuff and the jazz stuff, and then my pop stuff and Elliot's pop stuff. Right. Um, and now we need someone to run it because. <laughs> Uh, 
the other thing that we have is that there's kind of a proprietary thing where you can build the track on the site. I can't really talk too much more about that part, but that's really the, the really cool part about it. Right. Um, and everyone I've shown it to is like blown away and the interface works and everything's cool. The sounds are great. The drumming's great. It's organic. It's played by humans. It's mm-hmm. not quantized. It's, it's real. Right. Um, what, because then I'm just, before you start a tech company, <laughs> I think, and we talked about this before on the phone, you have to, you have to be willing to grind and have the time to grind. And Sean and I have found out that we're doing so much other stuff that it's, it's not that it's not a priority, but there's just no time in the day to like really launch it the correct way. You kind of only get one shot to launch something like that. Yeah. So you have to be publicized and you have to, you know, find some songwriters that want to be product users and or endorsers to kind of get the buzz going like that. Yeah. Um, but as far, I don't, well, like I was telling you, I, I don't see myself going to NAM and sitting in a booth. Right. You know, <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking basically for, you know, uh, to partner up with someone who could sort of run this thing for us. It's yeah. ready to go, but I my, <laughs> I just want to continue to be a drummer and have ideas about stuff like this. But there are a couple of times where I would be doing, um, uh, like, you know, video conference calls with other tech companies or colleges that maybe I had this idea that I would, that they could use some of these loops as sort of like textbook material for music production classes, things like that, you know, and the licensing of that is very lucrative. That's why we were looking into it. Um, Licensing the technology. Right. You know, before I forget, here's a really funny story having to do with licensing technology. Uh, there used there was a New England Institute of Art. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, it was a comp- their music production program was a competitor to Berkeley. Okay, it had a very good music production program. Uh, someone forgot to renew the Pro Tools license for the entire school. Oh man! I was I was in the middle of a session. I shit you not. I was in the middle of a session at the school, and Pro Tools went dark. <laughs> and and these are young kids. Right, right. There happened to be a tape machine in the room, and the faculty member happened to be old enough to know how to run a tape machine. Yeah. I asked everyone in the group, has anyone ever seen anything rewind? (laughs) (laughs) So we ended up cutting drums to tape for that day. So no, 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 you know, no punching, you know, no punching drums, really no editing. Yep. Uh, So that was really interesting. But yeah, the, the licensing, that kind of stuff. The music technology to schools is is a, another sideline business that we we're you know going to try to get into very strongly. So, and you're um, you're talking about the the technology to like build a track outside of your DAW. That's what Buck a Beat will allow you to do. Yes, and right. you can drag and drop it right into the session in whatever file format you'd yeah. be looking for. Yeah. And and honestly, and that's the end of my technology. Right. And, and that's why. <laughs> It's taking so long to launch this shit, and I need, like, I want to partner with someone. I would give them a very generous cut of everything to sort of run it 
and be able to talk the talk and walk the walk rather, rather than me, you know, doing a conference call with someone and saying, well, I think it works this way. And I, I, I don't know how to troubleshoot, you know? Right. So this person, this person has to have the, the tech savvy, the time and the inclination to just talk to people about this all day. Yeah. And, and really the, the, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily even care if they were a musician. Yeah. Just a young kind of entrepreneur that wants a piece of something that, at least in the music technology field, you know, could be something cool. We do it very differently than the other, you know, loop companies that want to sell a huge package for X amount of dollars. Right. We want to do it on a per project basis. You need something? Come check out our library. You, we, we will allow you to buy it. If you just need like two or three measures, you can buy two or three measures. You don't have to spend whatever right. to get it's it's on a per project it, you know it's the iTunes model right the iTunes model right um and i mean if we had 10,000 loops ready to go back the last time i spoke to you there's got to be ready to be cut up another 20,000 yeah <laughs> and these are just so, little little one measure two measure pieces that, that whatever people, the phrase is yeah whatever the phrase is yeah um, you got to watch out for symbol overhang though, because if there's a crash, that crash has to extend out till it's done decaying. Right. So if I play a crash and I'm into the groove for the next section, then we let the crash decay, and that could be a four or five, six bar phrase. It's all au naturel. It's all organic. Yeah, that's cool. So like, yeah. there's there's one loop for you know beat X in a one bar form. But then there's a separate loop you can buy for like four bars of beat X with a crash at the beginning. No, you 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 pick you pick the loops that you think you might want to use. You know, you'd go, you'd listen to the collection. Uh-huh. First of all, it's gotta be at a BPM that you kind of want to work at. Right, right. You know, so that and we made it really fun to kind of toggle around the library. There's tons of like search terms in terms of BPMs or styles or whatever you're looking for. And then, you know, hundreds of loops come up all in collections. Yeah. And you just kind of, there's a really easy interface where you just play them and you hear, you hear a very low res snippet of, uh, and then you can like, we have a way that you can build the track very very easily on the site now you don't have to do that you can just buy the collection you can assemble it on your own right but we've made it much simpler for tech dummies for songwriters that uh you know are barely garage band savvy yeah yeah that they can just buy a drum track that they assembled that's not I mean, it's not a drum machine. It's me or Elliot or Alan Cassidy or Jeff Armstrong or all the people that I think sound amazing, you know, and yeah. it's kind of a one-stop shop. Um, That's very but cool. our model is a little different. We want to sell it in little pieces rather than buy this mammoth collection and then it will take you days to go through. Like, it, it's it's on a per-song basis. Right, right. Um, That's a great idea. But yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, Sean thinks so. Everyone I've shown it to is blown away, especially by the track builder. It's yeah. just kind of this genius thing our web guy came up with. I wasn't even sure if it was possible to do, and he made it possible to do. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I would just just need a little help launching it. So, <laughs> well, maybe I'm uh, kinda, I'm, 
I'm kind of busy just cutting other tracks and Sean is busy producing great artists right and, and playing you know. other gigs like yeah, and this yeah. is this is the thing about about uh you know sort of taking the lead on something whether it's creating a company like this or um you know becoming the leader of a band um like yeah. I got a, I got a buddy in town here who in recent years um has you know taken less of a of a sideman role and is is kind of at the helm of of a of a two pronged project, uh, one of which is like a corporate band, another of which is a tribute outfit, and uh, he's you know he's spending most of his time, like you said, traveling to conventions and manning a booth and just like yeah. pitching the product. Yeah. Um, whereas when it you know when it started out, he was he was playing all the gigs, he was doing the rehearsals, he was you know, but now he's kind of like his his job is different, and you got to be ready to to do that job <laughs> if you yeah. want to create yeah. something like that or yeah. at, at least like you said you know find somebody who's willing to do that job i n- neither me or my partner have the time to to do it the way that we want it done right you know right so it's 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 difficult like you know we probably should have thought of that before we launched into this thing and started cutting up 10,000 loops, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> right, and right. 20,000 in the queue, you know? Yeah. But um, it's never too late, so we're, we, it'll, it'll happen. Yeah. Just not sure how it will happen and when it will happen, but it will happen. Right, right. It has to happen. My sweat <laughs> equity into it is just crazy, and so is his. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But that, that that's fun. And, and the idea of drummers owning their own content very attractive to me. Yeah. Very attractive period. Very good for drummers. Very good for music, you know? Right. Um, by the way, the loops are, are, you know, licensed and royalty free. When you buy them, you own them, you do whatever you want with them. Sure. It's not like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good business model for, for drummers. Like, you know, I think more and more drummers are, are doing sessions for loops, whether it's for their yeah. own, their own little outfit or for somebody else's like, like an outfit like yours. Yeah. They're also doing sessions at home. Sure. Uh, I dipped my toe into that and then I realized I really don't like tech stuff. I don't like setting up mics. I don't like trying to, I thought it would improve my workflow Mm. and instead it, it, because I couldn't even edit or comp my own tracks because I'm a pro tools dummy. Right. And I was spending hours watching tutorials instead of like, doing gigs you know <laughs> so I, I, I and and the other thing that's I think is very real um, if you're a drummer and you're getting hired by studios you're gonna do your own studio and like cut the throat of the people that are trying to hire you like what right. are you doing right I mean if you're not doing you know? any session work and you don't have any relationships with producers or studios or whatever <laughs> yeah, and you yeah. and you have the time and inclination to learn about yes, it, shoot like, it. that's shoot a great it. reason but if you know somebody in your position who just has this machine rolling and you're like wait a minute yeah. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna I didn't want to bite the hand that, not only did I not want to bite the hand that feeds me these guys have been doing this shit, producing and engineering, especially engineering, for for thirty years. Right. What am I going to learn in Pro Tools in a week? And the, here's the fucked up part: I spent a lot of money putting a home studio in my place. At least for my budget, it was like quite a few thousand dollars. Yeah. And literally three months later, I was like, 
I got to get rid of this stuff and sold almost all of it. Man. It was just, yeah, it, it just occurred to me like, I don't like doing this. Yeah. I, I like, I just want to sit at the drums and create a track and talk to artists and, and. Well, yeah. And it goes and, back to what you said about talking to artists. Like, you know, we, we say it virtually every interview on this podcast, like this business is about relationships. And, yes. and, you know, being a, being a one man band and being a one-stop shop for drum tracks, like it's, you know, it's, it's a business model, right? A lot of people do it. A lot of people are good at it. A lot it. of famous people are doing it because the recording industry is dying. Sure. So. Of course. Yeah. But I think, you know? I think you and I are, are similar in that like we value those relationships and we value that human interaction and, you know, maybe the state of the, of the business is, is making that more and more difficult, but you know, anything you can do to just hang on to, uh, the way music is supposed to be made rather than one person in a room alone doing everything. Um, I, I, I think that, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because this is something I wanted to talk about. It, it, to me, it's very real in my life is that, so, you know, I came up at sort of right towards the end of, you know, major label, like big budget, you right. can make a lot of money per song playing right. on, on, on drums. And, and I, you know, I did a taste of that. Um, and that was awesome, but because of where I lived or just my own playing circumstances or, or just circumstances in general, you know, you do like two or three of those a year, Yeah, you know, and yeah. they, they would pay some bills and it was, it was, it was cool, but it's more fun to make up with, make up for it with just volume. Mm-hmm. And what's made that possible, in my opinion, is crowdfunding, hmm. where a songwriter that, you know, works a day job or whatever they're doing, they're, you know, they're struggling and they want to hire, you know, a drummer with skills to play on their stuff. So their stuff sounds pro. Yeah. They can do a Kickstarter. They can do a Patreon. You know, those are the new labels right. and they're self when they when you can crowdfund, then they can you know, they can pay musicians what they're worth. Yeah. And it's absolutely changed the game for me where now I'm doing more work than I ever have. And it's hurting the artists less because it's not necessarily coming out of their own pocket. Right. And they don't have to they, they pay it back in terms of just karma or they'll do a house concert or they'll you know, write somebody's name on the liner notes and they're an executive producer or things like that. Right. It's, it's, and that's no, but that's cool. It's so cool. And it, it is, it's, yeah. it's made it, it's made it so that I can work with 12 songwriters a year, not three. Right. And it makes it more personal. Like I'm, I'm sure you've done like, I'm sure a lot of the stuff on your resume is like where you never even met the artist. Right, like you. <laughs> you did. Um, the well, I could, one, <laughs> one where I definitely didn't meet the artist. Um, I played on the Natalie Imbruglia record, "Left to the Middle." Right. Um, not the song "Torn," but a, this, the, the, some other stuff, album tracks on that. Yeah. And I, I kind of didn't even. So here's here's you know, here's here's me in a nutshell. So I so I do this session in New York. I don't really think anything of it. They just say, oh, you know, she's an Australian soap opera actress, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, great. So, you know, I play to the loop because it was the 90s, right? Yeah. You know, it's like drums and loops together. 
the the loops provide the swing, the drums provide the rock. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how they did it back then. Maybe it's the opposite now, but back then that was that was what we did. And I think nothing of it. And then I think the if I remember correctly, the guy who produced the record was like, "Hey, this thing's doing really well." Um, and I found out that I knew somebody that was A and R at her company. So I call up and I'm like, Hey, you know, is she looking for a touring drummer? <laughs> and the guy goes, touring drummer. She's on Saturday night live this week. It's all, it's all, it's, it's a done deal. You know, like <laughs> I don't, I didn't follow up in other right, words. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but funny. God, that feels like another lifetime ago. This episode is brought to you by DrumSellers.com, the niche marketplace where drummers, drum retailers, and drum manufacturers buy and sell their gear. List your drums for sale for free, and the only fee is 4% if it sells. Simple. Check out all the new used vintage and custom drum eye candy at DrumSellers.com. You were talking about you get to you get to play with you know a dozen artists a year and and for the time that you work with them you have a relationship with them you know these mm. projects mean a shitload to them um, and every and, and therefore every- they mean they mean more to you um, it's yeah. just a more yeah. personal like interpersonal um, uh, business model and experience than what you were talking about where, you know, you, you get called randomly to play on some tracks for somebody you are never going to meet. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I think a lot of people doing the home recording thing are, are doing exactly that. Like some singer songwriter in fucking Finland finds them on, on air gigs, uh, and they, you know, they exchange some emails, but there's no investment. There's no emotional investment. Um, you know where I think a lot of those drummers might get hung up is, I mean, this just, I'm just kind of thinking out loud, but like, how many redos do you allow? <laughs> Does that right. cut into your workflow? I'm sure. You know, cause the person's not there yeah. and they tell you what they tell you kind of what they're looking for and you give them what you think is exactly what they're looking for. And they're not happy. Right. You know, not because it's bad drumming, but but just it's conceptually wrong. Or, right. To them, it's conceptually wrong. So how many redos yeah. are allowed? I, you know what? I bet it's in the fine print of all those websites. It's got to be. I mean, it would be in the fine yeah. print of my website. I mean, I write, <laughs> I write, I write bios for people. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, for artists and bands or whatever. And, and they, get, they get two edits. Like, I send... Says you, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I send them a rough draft just to show them like the you know the tone of it and the the direction i'm going with uh, the story and the um you know the the whole thing and after after they approve that then they get two rounds of edits like i send them version two and if there's factual stuff that's incorrect or chronologically out of order or if they just want to change an adjective to a different adjective you know they like they get one round and usually they're done after that usually like the rough draft and then one round of edits they're done but you know i'll I'll give them one more after that but definitely it's not uh just perpetual back and forth about (laughs) you know yeah you ever done a session where like literally the artist like loves the track that day you know and then they're just about to either go for final mixes or not mastering but sort of final mixes and then they want a recut of like a drum thing with a totally different idea like that 
that happened to me recently within the last couple of years where I, I and you know whatever it took me 10 minutes to just, I, I can't charge for it but it's just interesting how you know man people they'll they'll get I, I, everything I, they can out of you <laughs> well, no no it's not, it wasn't that I look at it as it just a metaphor for like you know they they think this is their shot you know and they want it to be exactly right man right it's my pleasure to redo it yeah um, I would I have redone it five times no but I'll 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 do it once. Right. You know? Right. Why not? And going back to what you were saying about like spending time with them, in, you know, and just getting to know them and kind of learning their idiosyncrasies, what turns them on, what turns them off. You know, if you've created that kind of a relationship with somebody, then I think you're more inclined to uh, just go the extra mile for them like that and make it, make it less transactional, make it more of a process, a, you know, a, a partnership and less of a, well, we're we're 10 minutes over time right now. So <laughs> it can, it can be a, you know, think about this, right. You know, you're a songwriter, you maybe be a professional musician with not much experience or you're got tons of experience, but it's not what you do for a living. And you go into a studio and this might be the first time you're in an actually pro place with pro players. Mm-hmm. It can be intimidating and you don't, maybe you don't want to speak up cause you're not really sure what you want, but after the fact, you're sure as fuck going to know if you like it or not. I mean, that's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a one or a zero, right? It's pass or fail. Yeah. And a lot of these artists are, they're not familiar with the process of cutting drums for something like, like listening to the drums absurdly loud during playback Mm -hmm. to make sure that everything's cool or, taking everything out of the mix except the click, the drums and the vocals, mm. you know, or then pulling the click out or pulling the vocal out. And they, they, they don't quite understand the jigsaw puzzle sometimes of it. Right. And, and maybe they don't put a lot of care into their scratch tracks mm-hmm. for a drummer. Yeah. Now I've got a click in a scratch track that's out of time to the click. Yeah. And you don't want to push too hard. You know, these are sensitive human beings you know what i mean and 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 i don't i don't want to push too hard on that um in a keyboard sense i would make sure that it it got quantized like made a midi track and quantized doesn't mean that they can't play it later with more feel but it's going to be easier for me and more productive for me to play something that's like right on the clock so then i can make moves and it feels feels good um some of these people are good are you know, acoustic singer songwriters that have never played with a drummer before. Yeah. So they don't really, or, or they're and you, we have, we've all heard this a million times. Like if you, if you, if you're doing, if you're an acoustic singer songwriter, you're not doing a gig with a drummer. You're playing drums and guitar at the same time. Yeah. You're playing that sort of busy, like, all their backbeats are really hard and right. You know, they don't 16th notes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which are basically our grace notes. Yeah, totally. So I, I I have to negotiate that and be, be very sort of gentle, but it it can be shocking for someone to be like, yeah, that thing you played. Um, I can't listen to that anymore because (laughs) I'm making, trying to, you know, or like muting it during a playback and they look at you like, do you not like me anymore? What's right. what's happening here? You know, yeah, so yeah. 
well, I'm beginning to get a picture of of why you do so much of this work and why uh, you know this this handful of producers depends on you because, like you said, in addition to just all the technical boxes to be checked, um, you you just seem extremely sensitive and empathetic about the people you're working with and the roles that they're playing and the positions that they're in, whether it's the veteran producer or the noob songwriter. You're, mm-hmm. you're kind of just very emotionally in touch with everything that everybody's dealing with and are able to navigate it. And the producer is the, the, the middle ground between me and the artists. Right. You know what I mean? Right. They, they, they're trusting me to come up with something that is going to make this person happy, you know, over time. Yeah. Um, I, as I keep doing it year after year, I I find myself playing with less and less density. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, just you know, drum talk a little bit. Like I, 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 grace notes are audible. Yeah. So it, it can't. I, I'm trying not to make it just like a, a a nervous left hand tick that I do to keep myself in the pocket. Yep. You know what I mean? I catch myself um, doing this all the time. Yeah, yeah, and it's and, and it's like, or I work with this with my the people that study drums with me all the time is like, that nervous left foot that you have, mm-hmm. that's fucking audible, man. <laughs> yeah. So do you really want to be stepping eighth notes as you're playing eighth notes on the ride and it's flaming to all hell and like you know it's just it's just, I, the, all right, the, maybe I'm insane, but the, the only stepping pattern that I will do when I go to the ride is stepping the ands hmm. because that's the only one that does something to the music that sounds like it's elevating it to me. Yeah. 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 If you step quarter notes, that's just the click, right? If you step, if you step back eight, beats, that's just the snare. If you're, you're mimicking the snare. Now I'll go for that too. That's my second favorite. Okay. <laughs> but, 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 but if you step ands, that, that lifts somehow the music to me. It's another layer for sure. Yeah, yeah. that's a layer. And yeah. but I try not to really step anything, right? Because it's audible. Well, this this reminds yeah. me of, of uh, something I thought of at the beginning of our talk when you were talking about you know learning chunks of songs twenty and thirty at a time just in preparation <laughs> yeah. for gigs and yeah. and I yeah. think a lot of us are in that boat where like a lot of our practice time is just devoted to learning fucking songs. Um, yep. And and you can get to a point. Uh, where you're like you're not creatively challenged, like you're just in survival mode to get through these songs, and you're not getting to work on your um, your ideas or your improvisation or whatever. But uh, I've I've found recently I'm I'm trying to hold myself more accountable um, just for the cleanliness of my playing. And if I'm on a gig that that doesn't blow my hair back, where I, you know I've learned these songs and I just have to get through it. Um, I'm, I'm trying to make my challenge like it 10 years ago because of my jazz background, my challenge was like, okay, how can I spice this up? Like, how can I put my stamp on this? How can I make it me? How can I make it unique? And now I'm, I'm trying to think like, okay, how, how consistent can I make my backbeat sound like, uh, you know, and stuff like you were talking about, is this left foot really serving me? You know, like, let's just clean up the drumming let's clean up the sounds and make that the challenge um Mm -hmm. you know if if you're having a tough time being 
inspired. <laughs> not 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 the grace note driven stuff. It, but but it has to be intentional. We're sure. talking about intention. Absolutely. You know what I yeah. mean? Mindful, um, not mindless. My, my, yes. And and playing grace notes can be a way to sort of propel the 16th notes, even though you're playing eighths or quarters on the hat or mm-hmm. ride. But, I mean, they're, they're audible. Yeah. They're audible. Yeah. If I'm teaching someone how to play a purdy shuffle, the first thing I do is to teach them how to play it without the grace notes. Huh. And then I will teach them that that middle note of that triplet yeah. can be a grace note in this groove, just like a hippie jam band beat can be do do that digga digga da da. It's the triplet equivalent right. of that. Right. You know? And then then we have to work on how loud or soft do you want to play it? You know, how audible do you want it to be? It's all within your control if you know how to hold the stick. Sure. And it's very grip related. Yeah. Of course. And do you do you want that grace note in the middle of every triplet? Because right. I mean, if you listen to Rosanna, it's mm-hmm. not it's not there all the time. I think in fact it's not there most of the time. Like You know what's funny? I was I was just teaching someone how to play a Lido shuffle, the boss gags tune. Yeah. Yeah. You realize he only plays the goddamn grace notes for like the first half of the first verse and then starts playing quarter notes on the hat and he starts playing smoking in the boys room, but it's just Picaro <laughs> playing it. It's incredible. Like I kind of forgot how little of the thing that kind of made him so special. I mean, everything made him so special. He's the, one of the great drummers, but, but like the thing that, you know, us drum nerds obsess about the to get the dagger like the sex tuplet feel right, is right. really in like ten seconds of the song and oh, then it's just gooch to gosh to gooch to gosh with like <laughs> great fills, cool cymbal crashes and I bet he did a pass that, that had nothing but like cock rock on it. Right. Right. I'll have to go back and listen <laughs> to that man. Go back and listen to Lido Shuffle. It 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 after the first verse it's over. <laughs> It's over. Wow. It's unlike Rosanna where it's throughout, you know, and it's yeah. unlike Bab Sisters, Steely Dan, where it's throughout uh, once the singing starts. Right. Well, uh, I, 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 Mike, I feel like we could, we could, I could talk shop with you for a long time, but, <laughs> but we <laughs> should, we should, we should wrap it up. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for, uh, for carving out some time here and, and telling us what's going on in Boston. My pleasure. MikeLevesque.com, if anyone's interested. Absolutely. And keep us posted on, on uh, the Buck a Beat thing. We'll, we'll help you uh, shout that from the rooftops when it's, when it's ready. And yes. who knows, there might be somebody listening who's uh, uh, suitable for your, <laughs> for I, yeah, your partner. They, they can find me. They can email me from my website. Uh, also on Instagram, Mike Levesque Drums. Um, what is your turnaround for... Uh, episodes. This is going to go up in about three weeks. I'm up for. I'm perennially, perennially up for a Boston Music Award for Session Musician of the Year. Oh, cool! I'd like to win this year. Yeah, uh, but but the uh, but the voting ends I think November first. So, but if if it doesn't come out before then, that's totally. Yeah, this is going to come out the end of October. So I think we'll be just sure. in time. Yeah. So if you know if. Uh, bostonmusicawards.com forward slash vote you can help another working drummer out there you go help, help Mike take it home 
<laughs> the Susan, hey, I want to thank you're the, Chad. Susan, you're the Susan Lucci of the drumming world. Always, uh, always nominated. Much. Never. <laughs> can I, can I thank and shout out and give all my love to Chad Brandolini of Vader for hooking us up? Please? Of course, yes. Because they're they are, um, through thick and thin, they're unbelievable. Yeah, and uh, love I've, those guys. So. I've I've been a, a Vader guy for uh, not nearly as long as you, but uh, my yes. my experience with. Uh, both the sticks and with Chad has has been just it's beautiful, really, really good. So thanks, oh, thanks I, to Chad for helping kick us both in the ass to get this done. When I signed with Vader, he was a teenager rolling sticks in the basement, <laughs> and now he's the head. He's the you know he's the head artist. Rep, oh, so that's beautiful, we, man. That, I, we we grew together. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, man. All hey right. Zach, thank you very much, man. Thank you. Have a good one. Thanks again to Mike Levesque. Let's help him grab that award this year. Go to Boston Music Awards forward slash vote. If you go to Mike's episode page on our website, we've posted a Spotify playlist of some of the stuff he has played on over the years, so check that out. Once again, if you want to add a 16-inch Sabian HHX Complex Thin Crash to your arsenal, leave us a review on iTunes and copy and paste it to our Facebook page. New content is up on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash workingdrummer and get in on it for as little as one dollar a month we'd really appreciate your support there share pics and videos of your gigs on instagram using the hashtag working drummer for a chance to get reposted in our stories and of course if you want to get in touch with us you can do so on instagram facebook or at workingdrummer.net. Next week, Matthew Krauss will be bringing you the audio from last night's live event with financial advisor Mike Mercurio. I'm definitely looking forward to hearing that. I think there will be some really useful info for self-employed freelancers like us. Whether we're just scraping by or living large on retainer, the way we deal with money just isn't the same as most working people, so I'm looking forward to hearing some ways we can all improve our financial life. Hope you check that out. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.